Uh, The title of my message this morning is A River Runs Through It. A River Runs Through It. Um, Keeping with, uh, as we are being formed by the Spirit, um, a lot of my messages lately have been movies, titles. This one is no different. In 1992, there was a, a movie called The River Runs Through It. It was directed by Robert Redford. Brad Pitt was a, a, young, a young man at the time. And uh, it's all about, if, how many of you have seen it? 1992. This really kind of dates a lot of, a lot of us old people. Um, it's really a movie about fly fishing. If you'd like to fly fish. Uh, it's, it's about a father who's a pastor and he has two sons. And uh, what we learn from, as, he, as he teaches them to fly fish, and uh, there's a river by their uh, place where they are living. This takes place in just after World War I to the Great Depression. And uh, so he was learning them to teach about life lessons. And uh, he was a pastor who had two, two young men. And... Uh, there's this river by their home, and so he was teaching them how to fly fish. And really what he was trying to do is that he was uh, wanting us to, he, what the, the whole tender of the movie is, is that the river is, and the fish and yourself, it really is, allows, is really a, uh, a comparison or a simile, a metaphor of life. And... Uh, if uh, you can understand the river, if you can understand the fish, then the whole world are really God's gifts to use wisely. If you, uh, and so that's the whole tenor of the movie. So what does that have to do with today? Well, quite a bit, actually. Um, I think a lot of times when we look at life, we look at life as something that we watch. We let life kind of be our movie. And we step into that movie every once in a while when it kind of moves us. Otherwise, we sometimes let that movie play and we kind of interact with it every once in a while. But overall, we sometimes think that it is uh, something that really We're unaware of how we can even change it, walk in it, work with it, and see some purpose in it. I don't know about you, but sometimes life has a tendency to uh, go on without me. And uh, if I let it, I realize that it has already gone way farther than I had anticipated for it to go because I'm still waiting for it at the middle. And now that I'm 55, I have to start thinking about the end. When you're 30, when you're 20, it's, it seems like there's an awful lot left of the movie. <laughs> but somewhere, we sometimes need to understand that there is a, a greater picture of life. And sometimes that, that river that we are watching is really what brings life. 
We talked about it in the spiritual sense that there is a river. Jesus says there's a river out of our innermost being will flow. There's a river where there is fruitfulness. So the river itself is what brings life. What are you and I doing with that true life? Are we watching it or are we living from it? Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Jezreel and saw two boats in the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he who and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything everything and followed him. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you are our life. And you desire to flow in and through it, giving it purpose, meaning. And Lord, we just desire to understand what you're doing and to join you in what you're doing. Lord, bless us now as we look into your word. And Lord, let us be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Many people are willing to listen to Jesus, but not as many people follow Jesus. In our world, it's become almost meaningless to identify as a Christian these days. The word does not does little to identify our life or our choices. But even in the very beginning, there was a difference between the crowds who chased Jesus and the called, the disciples who sacrificed everything to follow or imitate Jesus. Here's the context. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. He was standing by the lake of Jezreel and saw two boats by the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon, he asked him to put out a little from land and sat down and taught the people from the boat. The crowds are pressing in against Jesus so tightly he needs to use the shore as an amphitheater. This puts him in the boat of a local fisherman named Simon, who later is called Peter. 
who is cleaning up after catching nothing. Jesus observes this ordinary moment as a divine appointment, and he points his miraculous presence towards helping Simon. Simon thinks he's helping a rabbi, Jesus, and Sam, Simon doesn't realize Jesus is about to do much more for him. And this is what distinguishes the call from the crowd. The crowd shows up to hear Jesus talk about spiritual things. The called let Jesus get into their boat. The crowd shows up to hear Jesus talk about spiritual things. The called let Jesus get into their boat. I'm going to meddle a little bit this morning, and you're going to have to, I'm going to ask for forgiveness beforehand. I think sometimes when I talk about allowing life as a river to flow by and we're still waiting, we even do it in church. Sometimes we are drawn to talk about spiritual things, but when the rubber meets the road where we have to sacrifice or get involved with it, it is totally something different. It's, it's unfortunate that sometimes we are more in tune with just wanting the spiritual things to be on the peripheral and things that we can just, by choosing options on a vehicle when we go to buy one, we kind of treat our spiritual lives like that. We, we observe, we choose what we want, we pick what we want, but really, when it comes down to letting Jesus get into our boat, we hesitate. Well, for a number of different reasons. One is we don't think we're worthy enough, because this is a rabbi. This, one, this person knows more about the things about Jesus, so it feels like there's a little bit of awkwardness that takes place. It's good to kind of talk about spiritual things, but when it comes to really embracing all that he is, it's a, there's an awkwardness that takes place. When we realize that there is more to it than just the rabbi, we all of a sudden become undone and realize, oh, there's an involvement here that's going to take me out of the place of being a spectator into the place of being participant. Some people are willing to let Jesus stand in their boat, but even those people are completely unaware of what he is capable of. There's a lot of people that come in and out of church every Sunday aware of God's love and abiding presence they know Jesus is present in their lives, but they have no idea how helpful he can be. They think Jesus is just there to teach about spiritual things. 
and they don't realize that his presence is just is he's just as concerned about the spiritual things as much as he's concerned about the practical things, and that's both the same. Those who were called first discover Jesus in the life they already have. They realize that the river of God runs through their ordinary circumstances. It's sobering to realize that you can be so hungry to hear Jesus' words that you force him out into a boat, but you haven't yet brought him into your life. People come into church through two sets of doors. Through one door, some people want to hear Jesus speak while they stay on the shore. Through door two, people want to include Jesus in everyday experiences. And some people go to church because it's part of their tradition. Others go to church because they're welcoming Jesus into their boat. Most people who serve their community are like Simon. They don't mind helping God out. They don't realize that this is the secret. It's really the surprising way in which he calls them. When you serve in the nursery. When you stop in an old folks home. When you have a conversation with your neighbor you don't really have time for. You might think you're doing Jesus a favor Just wait, he's actually doing you a favor. And when he had just finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. You have to understand this. Back in the day when Simon was out in the boat, they had three types of nets. This net was made up of three different types of nets. It was something that you don't do in the day because the fish... How many have an aquarium? None of you have an aquarium. (laughs) We had one when our kids were little, and the very thing is is that it's very difficult to get a fish to go towards the net when you're trying to catch it, and you have to clean the water out of the aquarium. Matter of fact, that fish goes so stinking fast... You have to double take what's going on in order to get that fish. This is the type of fishing that is happening. There is a net made of three different types of fabric and it is intertwined and the fish know it's there. That's why they do this type of fishing at night. That's why it says in the word there that they toiled all night and got nothing. So when Jesus says, let down your nets, Peter's going, Buddy, you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) But because they, out of respect for him being a rabbi, okay, let's do this. But you know what? We're going to be cleaning those nets again. The crowd can hear and agree and remain unchanged. Those who are called are willing to do something counterintuitive. They might not realize it at the time, but miracles always begin where someone goes against the flow. Breakthrough follows surrender instead of trying harder. 
Healing follows dependency and trust instead of self-sufficiency. Provision follows radical generosity instead of hoarding more. Jesus is not the fishing expert Peter is, but Peter is humble enough to submit his profession to Jesus. You don't really know who Jesus is until he's demonstrated his lordship over your own expertise. Some people make Jesus into the chaplain of, their, of, of eternal life. They're going to do their own thing in their own way, but they'll listen to Jesus as long as he's talking about Jesus' things. They remain the expert on the more practical things of life. What if Jesus could show you a better way to file that paperwork? Or do you think that's your responsibility? And what if Jesus could give you a new strategy for how you can connect with your kids? Or are you going to just keep trying to do what hasn't been working? What if Jesus could give you a new invention to solve your workplace dilemma? Or are you just going to figure that out by yourself? What if Jesus could give you a new business idea to create a side revenue for yourself? Or is that up to you to provide for your own family? It's hard to overstate just how significant Peter's choice is. He lets Jesus into his world, and then he discovers that Jesus' world is bigger than his own. You have to understand that this was an impossibility to get a catch this big. The crowd didn't know. Or they were too obviously just ignorant of the fact. But Peter knew. It says, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And when they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. The crowd are only united as an audience. The called are so blessed, they have to work together. You know, you can hear a, a better sermon. Oh yes, even better than this one. Thanks. On a podcast channel, you can give to a greater need just by going to a nonprofit's website. You can watch a bigger worship team play exactly the same song you saw on YouTube. And none of this is wrong. But God wants to give you a catch so large you're going to need someone else's net to help you. It takes openness and vulnerability to walk in this level of relationship. Now here's where I'm going to meddle. Lately, I've been hearing the term deconstruction of faith. 
Now, I, w- I want to say this, and I want to be careful. I, under- I want you to hear me out, because when we talk about a deconstruction of faith, if that's all you do, you end up with just a bunch of rubble. It's funny, you don't, call, you, don't ever, you don't ever hear people talk about a deconstruction of education. Because that would be stupid. Right? Well, I'm going to just deconstruct my education just for a moment because I think I've, you know, like, we, we don't do that. We're afraid of, of not going to school. When we homeschooled our own children for a while, there's this movement called, help me out, dear, unschooling, meaning you don't do any schooling. You just do life. It is scary to a lot of educators to talk about unschooling because that doesn't make sense. It was scary for us. I should say scary for my wife because a lot of the a lot of the homeschooling was left on her shoulders. But we went through an, a series of doing school at home, to doing workbooks at home, to doing uh, lessons over here, and then you know you you flirt a little bit with the unschooling. But there's a lot of people that do. But the funny thing is, is that. If it's done correctly in doing life as education, there is such a, a learn, uh, such a joy when education is something that's caught, not taught. Uh, a lot of times, the love of learning is what makes you smart, not the smarts that make you smart. And sometimes we have been so, what I'm trying to paint here is there is such a structure for education today that you would be foolish to deconstruct your education. But we do it with faith. I have a hard time with that. Because in most most cases, that deconstruction is not a construction. The whole point, if, if you use the education as a, as a simile, the whole point of, of homeschooling is to create an environment that creates learning as a life. You want that in a bigger setting, in the bigger system, of course you do. But when you're dealing with one teacher to 30 students or 35 students or 40 students, it becomes a little bit harder to keep everybody on track. Now, I'm not railing on education. I'm just trying to tell you is that there is, there is a perception that we have. We, we use the structure of life for, for life lessons and for how we live. And it's good over there, but it's not so good over here. The whole point to why I'm, I'm, I'm running this into the, I'm, I'm bringing this up, is that when we talk about our relationship, and we talk about who God is and about our love for Him. If you're deconstructing things that have no life, I understand that. 
Your whole life as, as a Christian should be one of going through the word and learning what Jesus says and following and modeling your life after him. And there are some things that we have learned by osmosis that aren't Jesus. Of course we deconstruct those. But in deconstructing that, you also construct those things that are like Jesus. And what happens here is there's a disconnect. In the same process that we let life fly by, we do it in our Christian walk. We let our Christian walk try to live by robot, by osmosis. That somehow we're going to grab a hold of truth somewhere, something. And in the meantime, we have nothing. That's not what deconstruction means. If you deconstruct, you construct. The crowd is only united as the audience. And the called are so blessed they have to work together. We live in an age of individualism. You can get the most of what you want by yourself without depending on other relationships. And you know, a lot of the things that we do, we can, get better, we can see things and do things better, but none of that is wrong. God wants to give us a catch so large that we're going to need someone else's net to help us. It takes openness and vulnerability to walk in that level of relationship. So here's an example. What if the word you need from God isn't ever going to come from your favorite preacher? Or if it's only going to come from someone else in your row? Do you know what they're going through? Have you ever taken time to tell them? Have you considered coming early enough so you can buy them a coffee, then ask them to pray for you or with you? Do you think your, your one net is going to be enough? If not, who else are you going to call? If God works through your situation, let's just... I'll take someone from the audience... Al the plumber. I can pick on Al the plumber. God works through Al. He develops a tool for plumbing. God gives him a divine revelation of that tool. He gets a patent, makes lots of money. <laughs> But is that the end and be-all of what God wants to do in and through Al? No, the, the point is, is that Al's revelation, God's blessing upon his life is not just for him alone. It's, it's in fact to bring God's glory in and through what he is doing to others. When I pray for the prosperity of your businesses here in this room, I don't pray just so that you could be blessed. I want you to bless others. 
I want you to be successful teachers. I want you to be successful business owners. I want you to to sense God's glory upon your heart and life. Why? So that he can be revealed in and through you. The design that Jesus came and gave Peter or Simon a great bunch of fish was wonderful. But he couldn't He couldn't comprehend how much it was. He needed others, just like we need others here. And why the the situation is that we sometimes uh, allow our Christianity to be individualistic, so to speak, that we just become these individuals that just slip by each other and we don't interact. We don't get involved. We don't pray. We don't get involved so that we can bless one another and encourage one another as we see the day approaching, the Bible says. What God's called you to do, he desires to bless you. As I read from the very beginning of service, his whole purpose is to fulfill his purpose in you. What is God's dream in you? I don't know if I have one. That then creates a dilemma, does it not? Because God desires to fulfill his purpose in you, he has blessed you, given you talents, abilities, finances, whether you think you have enough of it or not. He still has designed and given you things in order for you to bless and be blessed by others. It's not an individualistic life that we live. It is a, a, a river that is flowing and it is moving and it is calling us to be faithful, calling us to be fruitful. And it's not just something that we do by ourselves, but we do with one another. And it, it, it multiplies. What if God wants to so anoint your dream, your story, that a dozen friends and coworkers get saved in just one month? Are you going to disciple them all? If not, who's net are you going to call on? One of the signs that you're dreaming too small is that you have not called upon others to help you steward the future God has promised you. When Simon saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. The crowd applauds the miracle from the shoreline. But the called... Worship right there in the boat. 
I don't know, but when I got to this point, I had to, I had to stop and ask God to forgive me for just allowing our financial need that was met last year just with an applause. Because it's not just, it's not the applause to the miracle that we need to follow through on. It's to worship. The King of kings and Lord of lords who has met our need, provided breakthrough, and has provided the testimony upon which each one of you can hold on to, say, if God can do it in that corporate setting, he can do it for me. And which he has. Simon is so overwhelmed with God's blessing that his worship is actually inspired by his shame. This is where most people begin. Once they've seen the real love and the mercy of God, and even though it's an immature form of worship, it's certainly both honest and truthful. How you worship is a reflection of how close you are to the reality of God. How you worship is a reflection of how close you are to the reality of God. How you worship is a reflection of how close you are to the reality of God. And your worship isn't just what you do on Sunday. Your worship is what you do each and every day. It's what you work at. It's who you are involved with. It's the relationships that are around you. Church, worship is a reflection on every level of the reality of your God. That's why there are moments in time like I've had the past two weeks, and I said it at, at communion time, the, the song, The Goodness of God, Bethel Worship, uh, there's a bridge there that the goodness of God chases after me. All of a sudden, the reality of that just hit me over the head. As I was driving, I scream in it. Understanding that there is the goodness of God that is chasing me and fulfilling the purpose that he has for me, whether I see it or not, whether I understand it or not, whether it, what I'm facing is the total opposite. It is still happening. The reality of who he is is there, and I need to stop and to worship who he is. Church, he's chasing after you. His goodness, his, his design, his purpose, as I read in the beginning of the service today, it is fulfilling, it is happening, it is persistent, it is pursuing. Why? Because the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. We gather together today to give God praise because we believe worship establishes the reality of God's true nature. It's the atmosphere of God's good kingdom. 
It's the environment where creative miracles can happen right in ordinary lives. Some watch the full nets get hauled to shore. Some drink the new wine at the wedding and wonder where it all came from. Some eat the loaves and fishes and wonder where the disciples got all that food. But those who let Jesus into their boat, those who seek more than just Jesus' ideas and welcome his physical presence, those who are willing to serve Jesus by creating space for him to move, those who are humble enough to let Jesus be Lord of their whole lives, these are the ones who witness the miracles of the source, at their source. And they are undone, given over unto their lives a profound worship. Church, it's time that we let Jesus into the boat. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The crowd goes home. But the called discover that their ordinary lives and passions are now been given supernatural purpose. Peter gets called to be a fisher of men. Jesus is going to use what he already is good at. Everything Peter knows about fishing is going to apply somehow. He is now given a divine calling. But it doesn't happen just tomorrow. That took a few years to see fulfillment. And it took a prayer meeting of just 120 people to pray. In which he stood up and preached a sermon where 3,000 came to Christ that day. Do you know that God has already prepared you to fulfill the dreams He has spoken over your life? Paul Manmoring says, He's getting you ready. He wastes nothing. You might not feel ready. You might not feel able. But it doesn't matter to Him. He wants to use you. He wants you to follow Him. Discipleship will not be forced upon you. You are welcome to listen to Jesus from a distance, from the shore. But it's something else entirely to let him step into your boat. The whole purpose of this community is to create a safe place for people to dream with God and to see those dreams fulfilled. This only begins in the atmosphere of worship. God gives and wants to give us new business ideas, new inventions, new songs, new strategies. He's going to take people in this room all over the world. He doesn't force ordinary people against their will. He simply starts with an extraordinary question. Will you throw at your nets on the other side of the boat? Will you go and do it in the daytime when you know it can't be done? Will you do it differently than you used to? Will you invite other people to in to help you? Will you serve Jesus in a small way so he can serve you in a big way? 
Will you worship and even when you feel inadequate? Will you welcome his presence into your ordinary life? Or will you prefer the safety of the crowd? Remember, the river is what brings true life. The question is, are you watching it or are you living from it? If you watch that movie that I mentioned at the beginning, the two sons ended up doing two different things. One ended up living life, became disciplined. He was a more disciplined fella and ended up teaching in a university and he ended up coming back to look after his brother who passed away. But his brother learned how to fish the brother that died learned how to fish. And he became in, got into his sweet spot where everything seemed to fit perfectly into his life, into that moment. Church, there is a moment where God just designs to fit perfectly into the design of your life. He's built it from the ground up. He knows exactly how you think, how you feel, where life comes from. And there is a, there's a spot in the river. The place where you find fullness of life. the place where you're living from the river. Well, what, how do I know? Well, if you're living from the river, life will be a, a full of destiny of miracles, confidence, and love, while watching from the side creates casualties, uncertainty, and aloneness. It's too many people coming to church and they're alone. It's too many people coming to church that are uncertain. It's too many people coming to church and their life is full of tragedy and consequence. And I'm about I'm fed up to hear, not with people's problems, but the understanding that there is a greater capacity for the miracle working power of God to step into people's boats and bring the fullness of his presence to bear on each and every person's life here in this room. And it doesn't matter how hopeless it looks, it's never hopeless for him. It's never out of his scope. It's never out of his ability. And that which looks like is screaming at you, it says it, it's not going to work. It can't happen. Why did it happen to me? Is all, of, is all the things they say from the crowd...
from the side of the river. But your life is different. It is fed and watered and fruitful from the river that runs through.